It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced by ACAST in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance, and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number one in our series for 2018, and today's date is Friday, February the 16th. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And first of all, we start out by talking to Kent Kwong co-founder of Atlas Trend, which was created in 2015 to build a new investment service to help average customer learn and invest in long-term world trends. And then we have a chat with AMP Capital Chief Economist Dr Shane Oliver, looking at the market trends ahead. After that, I review the week's news in business. But first of all, let's talk to Kent Kwong from Atlas Trend. Atlas Trend's a fintech. Uh, What we do is we provide easy global investing Uh, in fast-growing industries around the world for uh, Australians, starting from as little as $100. I think the idea about this trend came about because all the co-founders fundamentally believe that globalization is an untapped investment opportunities for millions of Aussies. It sort of makes sense because, Leon, if you look at the Australian stock market by value, it's only around 3% or less of the entire world stock market by value. And look, there are no certainties in the investment world, but Looking ahead, there are some real big global themes and trends that are growing rapidly and by quite a large amount over the next decade. So, for example, be it the growth of online shopping or the growth of digital data or big data, as we call it, they're the types of investment funds and themes that we've built trends around. Um, 
So yeah. yes, and, and it's just a quite an easy way for anyone to start learning about and investing in these trends. Uh, we take care of everything. It's all online and you can start doing it from as little as $100. So what happens? Uh, just say I come to you as an investor. What happens? Where- yes, you come to us. Um, we're, we're all online. We're a fintech product. We use a lot of technology to enable our service. Uh, usually you'll, you'll visit our website. You have a look around to see what our product is. Uh, it's a very easy sign-up process. It takes three or four minutes to start putting in your details. And after that, once you join as a member, we're a membership-type product, which is quite different to how traditional investment management works. Uh, once you join as a member, what you get access to is basically all our investment intellectual property. You know, We tell you exactly what our funds invest in, so you hopefully have a bit more confidence and idea of how we operate. And that's something most fund managers really don't provide because they're worried that, you know, people in the public might just copy their ideas and not use their services. We take a very different view. We, we think that if we do provide this type of information, you know, people will get more engaged and hopefully you know, look at uh, global investing with a different lens and, and try it out. And that's our mission, try to create that democratization of investing for people. So that's part one. Um, there's no obligation for any of our customers to invest, but if they do want to invest, they can, again, just do it online using a platform as a member. And, again, that takes probably another five minutes for them to do that. So what are you introducing your customers to? I mean, you, you talked about, say, online shopping, for example, or uh, uh, the growth of big data, for example, would be another one. Uh, so what exactly would they be investing in? They're investing in managed funds, and what these managed funds are are trends. Uh, if I could just take maybe the online shopping one as an example, Leon. So what that is is it's a managed fund that we've got an internal investment team that looks at all the companies around the world. They have to be at a billion-dollar market cap or more, and basically they have to be benefiting from the growth of online shopping or about the benefit or actually driving the actual trend itself. Um, we, we often get asked, what is a trend? You know, what does that mean? And how do we identify it? And what that is, is we ask ourselves a very important but simple question. What's sort of happening around the world that's going to impact the lives of millions, if not billions of people over the next 10 to 20 years? Now, online shopping is one of them. I mean, the growth potential there is huge. So once we identify that the managed fund comes into existence, our customers invest in that managed fund and that money then goes into various different companies. For example, in the online shopping fund, the name Amazon and Alibaba are both in those funds. For obvious reasons, both of them are very one of the two largest online shopping companies in the world. Right, right. And, uh, and so what are the trends would your managed funds invest in? Yeah, so there are, there are four trends. So each managed fund invests in one specific trend, so our customers can choose one or all of them. So currently we have online shopping. Uh, the growth of digital data is a, another one. Uh, and the two remaining ones at the moment is one called Healthy Lifestyle, uh, and the last one is called Splurging Baby Boomers. And so the companies these managed funds would be investing in would be from all over the world. That's right? Yes, they are. They are all over the world. Uh, our only criteria is that they're listed internationally uh, with a market cap or a market value of US $1 billion or more. So the investment universe is actually around 5,000 companies around the world uh, that sort of fit that description. So there are a lot of them, but we do a lot of the hard work to distill that down into a more manageable number and then invest 
in those specific companies that are doing well because of these specific long-term themes or trends. And these, of course, would be the largest players in these areas, like, for example, an Amazon or an Alibaba. Correct. That's exactly right. Uh, we don't tend to invest at the sort of smaller end of companies that perhaps might be a little bit riskier. We feel that there's enough growth prospects, a lot of growth prospects in these larger companies. So, for example, Amazon, which is worth several hundreds of billions of dollars, um, probably not far from a trillion dollars soon in Aussie dollar terms, is still growing revenues at 30 40%, which is astonishing when you look at the size of that company. Right, right. Now, what kind of return can I inspect as an investor? I mean, you say uh, it, it just takes me 100 bucks. What kind of return can I get on my 100 bucks? Yeah, look, uh, the returns we've gotten so far over the last 12 months, just to give you a sense of what that looks like, uh, our online shopping fund, which is one of the more popular funds, has returned 15.36% over the last 12 months. And since that kicked off, which was around two years ago, uh, it's returned 11.1% per annum. So they're the sort of returns we've achieved for some of our investors in those funds. The baby boomers and the big data funds, respectively, are about 14 uh, sorry, 16% and 14% over the last 12 months. So we've been pretty pleased with the returns so far. Uh, and look, you know, returns going forward are obviously uh, not as predictable because they are stock market investments at the end of the day, I have to say. Uh, but at, we do really genuinely believe that over the next 10 years, if you look at investing in these trends that are growing, uh, you know, you should be set for a pretty decent return. Right, right. And now, I mean, we're talking here about... Uh... You're investing in, that would be billions of dollars in listed equities around the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, look, um, you know, we're, we're a fintech startup. So, yeah, we do, manage, we do manage money for a number of our customers. Our investment team have all worked in sort of traditional jobs before, investing billions of dollars, and, and they've taken this route now to do this to sort of start democratizing it. But, yes, uh, you know, we've certainly managed uh, investing for billions of dollars in the past and, at this point in time, you know, it's not in the billion-dollar range as yet, of course, because we're sort of still brand new, but the companies we invest in now are right. pretty, pretty large. Now, uh, how many in your team? Uh, yeah, look, we've got uh, a team of probably seven or eight people now, actually. Right, okay, okay. And uh, and so uh, and they've all got years of experience in this area? Yeah, look, um, you know, all up at the investment team probably has over 50 years of investing experience. Um, so we, we, we sort of all lived overseas for a little bit of time uh, for a number of years. And we came home a few years ago and wanted to do something that was a little bit more transparent and fair and, and start bringing technology to the industry so we could help more and more people invest. Right, right. Now, so tell me... Uh... What are the other big trends that you'd be looking out for now? I mean, you've named a few. What are the other ones yes. on the horizon? Yeah, look, the other ones on the horizon, I think a, a quite a popular one is that we're really, really looking into potentially launching quite soon is clean energy, clean disruption. Um, you know, all the research that we've done to date suggests that over the next 10 years, the way that power is generated is fundamentally going to change. The cost of solar in a number of countries is actually cheaper than the cost of generating electricity from traditional sources. And that's only getting cheaper because solar technology is getting better. And then combined with battery technology advancing, I think what you're going to see is 
quite a dramatic change in how you know, electricity is generated and stored, and that has immense implications, Leon, for industries from the car industry. We've already seen that electric cars are on the rise, and not just the car industries, but you know a lot of other sort of power-intensive industries as well. So that's one sector that we're very, very interested in, in uh, looking at it a bit more and potentially launching a, a new trend for. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that that'll be fascinating to add. I mean, so you will have a, a string of uh, trends, and uh, so this is this is uh, really quite extraordinary. And, and the, I mean, the beauty of it, of course, is that you're exposing Australian investors to global trends, and that's the beauty of the exercise, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think that's right, Leon. You hit the nail on the head. I think you know we had one of the most amazing global trends that happened in our backyard in Australia during the early 2000s up until maybe a few years ago. And, and that trend was the commodity super cycle. Yes, of course. And, you know, lots of investors from overseas started investing in Australia for the right reasons because of that amazing trend. And what we're trying to do is, is the same, is to find those trends that are equivalent of or it may be even greater growth prospects of what happened during the commodity super cycle. For us, those sort of trends right now exist overseas because of technology and innovation, etc. So we're trying to provide that same opportunity for Aussies to get some exposure to those trends. Right. Okay. Well, Kent, it's been fascinating talking to you and uh, more strength to your arm and uh, your two other co-founders, Jade Ong and uh, Kevin Wah. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much, Kent. Thank you, Leon. You have a great day. Thank you. And now let's talk to... Shane Oliver, Chief Economist for AMP Capital, talking all about this week's market volatility. Business is that we're moving from a world of uh, somewhat constrained growth, uh, falling low and falling inflation and obviously very easy money to uh, a somewhat more normal world with better growth globally uh, and particularly in the US, somewhat higher inflation or rising inflation in the US and therefore tighter monetary policy. And that's causing a bit of an adjustment in markets led, of course, by the US. So I think the volatility around that will continue for a while to come. I guess the counter argument, of course, is that earnings growth will still be very strong and therefore the rising trend in the market will likely remain. Um, But, yeah, we're just going to get used to a bit more volatility. Well, I guess America is also adding a pretty hefty fiscal boost to juice up its expansion, and that's already uh, adding to the mixture, and public borrowing is set to double to one trillion or five percent of GDP in the next fiscal year, uh, and that's going to heat up the economy quite a lot, won't it? It certainly will. There's no doubt that the tax reform package from late last year and the um, package that Congress has agreed to remove spending caps Um, will add to demand in the US and that will feed through over the next year or so. I wouldn't make too much of Donald Trump's uh, budget that was announced a day or so ago. Um, Presidents uh, um, do come up with their own budgets, but it's what Congress does that matters and I can't see Congress adding further to the stimulus. But um, nevertheless, what they've already done will provide a stimulus to US growth. There's no doubt about that. Um, And that obviously is also going to add to some upwards pressure on bond yields over the course of this year and, uh, and of course, keep the Fed tightening. Um, Is it a major problem in the sense that we're we're about to go off a cliff? I don't think so, not just yet. Um, There's a lot of water to go under the bridge before these problems become longer-term issues. But um, 
but uh, in the short term, yes, there is certainly a, a boost coming through for the US, which will mean um, higher economic growth. It's going to mean stronger profits, but also um, a somewhat more aggressive Federal Reserve than we've seen or become used to over the last few years. And, uh, of course, the uh, central bank has a brand-new boss in Jerome Powell, who, unlike his recent predecessors, has no formal expertise in monetary policy. And uh, so where do you see him travelling? Well, Jerome Powell was uh, pretty much a centrist uh, when he, uh, well, for the period that he's been on the, um, the Board of Governors of the Fed in the US, and that's been the last few years now. And he's tended to go along with um, what, what Jellen, Yellen was... Uh, was doing, and I think that probably continues. I don't see him as particularly hawkish. Um, he's going to rely um, significantly on the staff and the, and the economists who are also on the uh, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee. So, I don't, in the short term, I don't see him deviating from the gradual approach that the Fed has adopted. Um, but by the same token, as we go through this year, that gradual approach approach may become a little less gradual. So we're actually looking for four interest rate hikes out of the Fed this year as opposed to three. Mind you, I think if Janet Yellen was around, she'd do the same. Um, But I think the reality will be that the US economy will be a little bit stronger than the Fed's allowing for. Inflation will get back to target a little bit faster and therefore we're looking for four hikes as opposed to three. Mind you, uh, that's not... uh, overly onerous back in uh, the period 2004 to 2006. There was a two-year period there where the Fed raised interest rates at every single meeting, which meant eight interest rate hikes a year for a total of 17 um, in a period just over two years. So by past standards, the Fed's still going to be gradual, just not as gradual as, as, it, as it was last year. Hello? Yes, but and doesn't it... Uh, prices have uh, fallen, but they've fallen back to roughly to where they were at the beginning of the year. Isn't that right? Uh, I've just missed something there. I think you cut out there for a moment. Well, I said that the share prices have fallen, but they've fallen roughly back to where they were at the beginning of the year. That's right. There's no great shakes here. I mean, it, it felt very scary when the market was falling. And of course, we had a few days there where markets came down three or four percent. But you've got to put all this in in context, uh, there, were, there was a very strong run-up in uh, shares late last year, in global shares early this year, particularly in the US. The US share market at one stage was up 7.5%, so obviously we've given that up. Um, but I think what we went through last year was a relatively unusual period in the case of the US. So Australia, Europe, Japan all had uh, 6 5 to 7% corrections through the course of last year, usually around the middle of the year. Um, but in the US, it was um, pretty much smooth sailing all the way through. A lot of noise, particularly around Donald Trump, North Korea and so on. But the US has, had gone 310 days, in other words, a record 310 days without having uh, anything greater than a 3% pullback, which is rather unusual. So the US share market was set up, if you like, for a bit of a correction. Uh, we've started to see that. That was triggered by the uh, worries about inflation and interest rates and bond yields in the US, what the Fed might do, um, and then made worse by the fact that we haven't had a correction for a long time, and also because of these so-called short volatility positions that people had, had put on. For some reason, there was a whole bunch of people out there betting that volatility would continue to decline. I never understood that because I thought volatility was already a record low. It can't go much lower here, and the risks are all on the upside. 
which of course is what's happened. But they, those people have had to uh, unwind their positions, which has accentuated the decline we saw in share markets. But if you look back hist- historically, 10% or so corrections, you know, range 5, 15%, sometimes up to 20%, not not particularly unusual. Um, we sw- we've seen them regularly over the last few years, mind you, not last year, but the, uh, the years before that. And so in the great scheme of things, I think what we've seen is not that particularly unusual. In fact, it's normal. And in fact, the bear market wouldn't be anything uh, more than, say, 20%, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be around 20%, well, wouldn't it? There's no uh, there's no official setting records here who who determines that uh, something has officially happened. I, I tend to sort of see a correction as something over the order of five to fifteen percent. Um, a bear market is twenty percent or greater. Um, but I am conscious that some of these things overlap. You know, for example, there was a twenty percent fall in Australian shares. Uh, um, into uh, the low in February 2016, and it was much worse in global shares. But a lot of people wouldn't recognise that as a bear market because at the time, right? You know, they've all forgotten about it. Um, and some bear markets differ from others. The 87 crash was a classic market, crashed free sharply over the course of one day and uh, for a total of 50% declines over two months. But, um, you know, it was back to normal after that, and the rising trend resumed itself. So... Um, ultimately, it depends on whether you have a recession or not, particularly in the US. In Australia, uh, deep bear markets where you come down at least 20% and a year later you're down you know, around another 20%, they tend to be associated with either a recession in Australia or a recession in the US, whereas these uh, corrections, you know, 5 to 15% falls or even the 87 crash, those sorts of things tend to be... Um, uh, against the backdrop of a solid economic uh, uh, performance, and consequently, the the bear market doesn't seem quite as uh, as severe. And I, I tend to lean towards that. You know, this is a correction. It's unlikely to turn into a deep bear market. Indeed, because because we don't see a recession in the US. That's right. And uh, meanwhile, company earnings are quite solid, and uh, the GDP figures are okay. That's right. The economic data we are seeing remains very strong globally, um, uh, business confidence, consumer confidence, investment numbers, earnings numbers all look pretty good. Now, of course, one might say, well, it's so good, it's soon going to get bad. Um, But usually when that's happened, it's because imbalances have built up. In other words, inflation has literally become a major problem, not just picking up, it's become a major problem and central banks have aggressively tightened. Um, This time around, you haven't seen that. We haven't seen the aggressive tightening by the Fed, we haven't seen the excesses that normally build up prior to a recession. So fundamentally, I think things are still still fine, and that will underpin share market gains going forward. It's just that you know we're transitioning from a, a lower inflation, lower growth world to a somewhat higher inflation and higher growth world, and that's going to mean a little bit of volatility in the short term. And as you say, we're looking at what what you said before was the normalisation of the market. Yeah, I think we're seeing a bit of a normalisation here. People have been betting that inflation, interest rates, bond yields would stay low forever. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. Um, and we're seeing adjustment to that. Um, mind you, I, I don't think one should assume that inflation, interest rates or bond yields are going to go back to um, the higher levels we saw in the past. But it's just that they're going to be somewhat higher than they have been over the last few years. You know, a, a, a return to the 1970s or 1980s with very high inflation is extremely unlikely. 
given we've still got a lot of spare capacity globally and the technological or the impact of technological innovation is continuing to impact um, pricing power of companies. So, the, yes, inflation will pick up, led, uh, led by the US, but uh, we're not going to see an, a 1970s-style inflation breakout. Thank you very much for your time again. My pleasure. Thank you. So what's the news? Well, volatility is back. Wall Street is continuing to climb back from its worst week in two years as European stocks join the recovery rally, but more adrenaline fuel sessions lie ahead with buoyant global growth causing inflation as investors' biggest fear. The world's biggest hedge fund has warned that global markets are entering a new era of volatility, with the world adjusting to higher interest rates after a decade of ultra-loose monetary policy. Bob Prince, co-chief investment officer at Bridgewater, said, Bridgewater said last week's market turbulence, which helped trigger record outflows from global stock funds, was set to continue. He said there'd been a lot of complacency built up over time. He said this shakeout won't be matter over in a matter of days. What's more, he said, there's likely to be a bigger one ahead. Last week, the US stock market ended its worst week in two years, with the S&P 500 falling 5.2% in a week, its steepest slide since January 2016. Selling in Europe and Asia wiped more than 5 trillion from the value of global stocks in just five days. And all of that inevitably led to a downturn in Australian consumer confidence. It fell last week, with jitters on global markets driving a sharp decline in consumers' views towards the economy. The ANZ Roy Morgan Weekly Survey of Consumer Confidence fell by 2.6% to a reading of 119.5, reversing gains over the previous two weeks. And the other interesting piece of news is that Australian business, though, has started the year strongly. Business conditions opened the year close to a record high with sentiment rebounding solidly in January, led by the construction and mining industries. Now, true, the National Australian Bank's monthly business survey predates last week's financial market turmoil, but it shows that in the real world, businesses are continuing to enjoy some of the most profitable sales and employment conditions ever recorded. The bank's business confidence index jumped six points to 19 in January. That's materially above the long-run average of five. And sentiment firmed two points to 12 the highest level since April 2017. The other big piece of news is that Meyer has run out of patience with CEO Richard Umbers. Umbers has stepped down as head of the department store chain, which is bleeding sales and under attack from disgruntled shareholders. Meyer chairman, Gary Hounsell, has been appointed executive chair with immediate effect, and a search will start immediately for a new CEO and managing director. Now, Umbers was appointed CEO in March 2015. At the time, Meyer shares were trading at around $1.40. This week, they closed at $0.54 cents only, giving a market cap of $440 million. So investors are not happy, particularly after last week when the department store issued a profit warning, warning that uh, another drop in sales, had, and which was worsening over the key Christmas period and into the new year. Now, the Royal Commission into Banking has put all the banks on notice. The Commission, the first in the banking sector since the Great Depression, which was forced on the government by its own backbench, the Labor Party and the Greens, started this week. And the head of the Royal Commission got stuck into the way the banks have been dragging their feet, providing a dirty laundry list detailing their misconduct. Royal Commissioner Kenneth Hayne 
expressed concern about the way some entities have been tardy producing information even before the inquiry finally formally got underway. Now, all the big financial institutions, including the big four banks, Macquarie, AMP, Vanessa, provide the Royal Commission with a 50-page submission detailing cases of misconduct since 2008. And unnamed institutions had responded by saying they were unable to meet his request. And even a revised time frame had been too difficult for some firms. Now, Haynes said he's going to come after them if they keep that up. And the first round of hearings is expected to begin in a month's time. And the profit reporting season is well underway, so here are the latest company reports. JB Hi-Fi posted a 37.4% jump in first half net profit to $151.7 million. Horizon's net profit jumped 52% in the six months of December to $281.5 million. Global packaging company Amcor posted a 15% rise in half-year net profit to US $329.7 million. That's Aussie $461.6 million. NBN Co., the company responsible for the NBN rollout, reported its revenue for the six months rising to $891 million, more than doubling the $503 million it reported a year ago. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank reported first-half cash earnings rising 11% to $225.3 million. Protective gloves and clothing supplier Ansel reported a 500% plus rise in net profit of US $428.2 million. How'd they do 500%? Well, that's because they picked up $411.5 million from the sale of their sexual wellness business, their condoms. ACX-listed wealth management company challenges net profit for the six months, slipped 3% to $195.4 million. Transurban's interim net profit almost quadrupled to $331 million. There's money in them toll roads. Hearing implant maker Cochlear's net profit in the six months fell 1% to $110.8 million. Boral's net profit for the six months jumped 12.8% to $173 million. Now, Fletcher Building's losses from its troubled buildings and interior division increased by $486 million to a total expected loss of $660 million this financial year. And Chairman Sir Ralph Norris is stepping down and Fletcher shareholders are not going to get an interim dividend. Insurance giant AIG's first half insurance profit rose 23.5% to $551 million. Computer shares profits up 14% to $171.2 million. Domino's, Pizza Enterprises, the interim net profit is up 17.3% to $58.7 million. Oil and gas producer Woodside posted 18% increase in full-year net profit to US $1.024 billion, which you'd pretty much expect with the way oil prices are going. Goodman Group's statutory profit fell 2.5% in the six months to $542.7 million. Aurora's net profit rose 12.7% to $103.8 million. Dex's first half net profit jumped 39.3% to $997.1 million. Blood products giant CSL's half-year net earnings jumped 31% to US $1.086 billion. Vicinity Centre's first half net profit fell 16.8% to $755.9 million. And uh, Folkestone Education Trust reported a 19.9% fall in its interim net profit to $54.4 million. Ridley has delivered a slide in first half profit to $12.5 million, down from $4.1 million a year ago. Retirement Village operator Avio's first half profit rose to $149.3 million. That's up from $121.2 million a year ago.
Lifestyle communities net profit after tax for the half year rose to 15.8 million from 12 million a year ago. And Villa World says it's on track to post a full year profit growth of at least 10%. That's despite delivering a drop in its after tax profit for the half year of 17.3 million. And that's it for us this week at Talking Business. Looking forward to bringing you all the business in all the business news, finance news and economics news next week. And in the meantime, you can tune in to us on Twitter at TalkingBizBZ or on Facebook. Take care and we'll talk to you next week. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.